In the second book of the Harry Potter series, author J.K. Rowling introduced us to a novel idea, the Mirror of Erised. She brilliantly used this foil to remind us that we are usually captive to our desires. Or better, perhaps, more as the Bible would put it, we are captive to our fears that our desires will not be met. The wise wizard Albus Dumbledore instructs his young pupil in what the mirror does. He says, the happiest man on earth would be able to use the mirror of Erised like a normal mirror. That is, he would look into it and see himself exactly as he is. So, someone who is perfectly content, or again, better, as the Bible puts it, someone who fully trusts the promises of God for them in Jesus, would see themselves in this revealing mirror exactly as they actually are. Gone would be the self-pity. Gone would be the false boosting of our ego. And certainly, No self-righteousness. However, this is not how most of us live our lives. This is not how the vast majority of the world around us experiences life today. When you read the news or you talk with your friends, you can be sure beyond all the posturing, beyond all the hidden agendas, and I'm not just talking about politicians, beyond all the coveting of stuff and circumstances and relationships, the vast majority in this world are consumed by the fear that our desires will go unmet, and so we stare into the mirror of the internet, for example. Desperate to catch a glimpse of our treasured covetings. Certainly you see it in politics every day. You see it in your favorite TV shows. You see it in your near ones. And all too often, we see it in the heart within our own chest. And because this is true, because we expect that it is everywhere, and we simply expect people to angle their way into position for their favorite flavor of fun... We come to our passage today, and if we're honest, we're a little shocked. We're a little stunned that Paul could be so forthright. We're shocked by a very simple idea. Paul, in our passage tonight, demonstrates what it looks like not to be beholden to self pity, to self-aggrandizing, and certainly not to be beholden to self-righteousness. Paul shows us what it looks like in Philippians 1, 12-18, how to put first and foremost the desire to advance the good news. Paul makes it clear that we can do this fearlessly. We can advance the good news and not our own agenda fearlessly as we rejoice because Jesus Christ is Lord over suffering and opposition. In our passage today, Paul is not concerned about the effects of his imprisonment on himself. 
his chafing on his hands, his confinement, his inability to go out and be among the people. He's not concerned about the effects of his imprisonment on himself. Paul is concerned rather of the effects of the, about the effects of his chains on others. He's concerned that his suffering and opposition that he faces advances the good news and not his own agenda. Paul's sufferings and the opposition he faces advances the good news, first of all, in the imperial guard who stands around him 24 hours a day. Then his sufferings make other believers more confident. Hmm, that sounds strange. We'll have to get back to that. And his sufferings preach more eloquently than any pleasures could to those who have not yet heard the good news. Once again, as we get to our passage, the themes of the lordship of Jesus, the facts of the suffering and opposition in every Christian's life, and the necessity of rejoicing are front and center. First and foremost of all who wish to read. So Paul moves from the introduction to his letter now as he starts the main body of what he wants to say to us. So let me read our passage for us. It's found in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only... That in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Praise Jesus. We come to this evening to the first extended treatment of one of Paul's great themes in Philippians. Jesus Christ is Lord over sufferings and opposition. Therefore, rejoice. Therefore, rejoice. This passage, these seven verses, is a personal testimony of Paul that he believed what he preached. Remember several weeks ago in Philippians 1, chapter six, verse 6, it says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is convinced that everything that he suffers is going to go towards bringing glory to God on that day. But he also wrote even more clearly in Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You mean Paul? The months you spent with shackles on your wrists and on your feet and the chafing and the, the, the pain and the frustration, that's all for good? Yes, exactly so. And that's what Paul is giving testimony to here. Because nothing on this side of eternity will ultimately be to the harm of those who trust the promises of God for them in Christ. Many things 
on this side of eternity will be unpleasant. Many things on this side of eternity will be painful. Many things on this side of eternity test your ability to endure. But don't miss this. Endure you must because your maker makes you to endure. Alex Motier says this. He says, God rules. God rules rules. The pressures of life are the hands of the potter who is also our father. The fires of this life are those of the refiner. He does not abandon the perfecting process to others, nor is he ever in his sovereign greatness knocked off course by the malpractice of evil men or by the weakness of good men. You, believer, can rejoice in the face of suffering and opposition because Jesus Christ is not asleep at the wheel. You, Christian, can rejoice in the face of suffering and opposition because you don't need to be afraid. None of your real needs will ever go unmet by the Lord of heaven and earth. And that is why That is why, more than serving his own interests for comfort and ease, Paul lives first and foremost to advance the gospel. Advance the good news. Now, I'm speaking about myself here. Very often, when we suffer, we seek to distract our hearts. We buy whatever it is we covet. We crush candy. We seek to impose our will on others. Suffering and opposition, however, is designed in part at least by God to show us the folly of these searchings so that we will find the only one who will satisfy our deepest longings. You don't have to search low and high to find relief from the opposition against Christ and his kingdom. You simply need to find him. So how about a test case? Abortion and infanticide are again on the rise. We talked about this last week. Should you retreat to crushing candy or liking your favorite blogger's posts? No. You can rejoice because Christ is the Lord and you can join his movement by loving your neighbor. Sometimes, by loving your near one, by thoughtfully mocking the arguments for abortion and infanticide. Play it out in your mind before you talk to your neighbor. Think about what are some things that I can reply to the progressive talking points and turn it on its head. You know, you might say something like, you know, some people think murdering an innocent person is good. And just leave it there. Strangely enough, many people who call themselves pro-choice have never really thought about what it means to kill, to murder an innocent person. You could be that member of God's army that throws in the spiritual hand grenade that takes a while to explode, but God can use it. Now, I'm not going to pretend that this way will always quote-unquote, work in the sense that you will change their mind. But it very may well do one or two things at once. 
It may, by God's grace, open their mind to the ridiculous nature of their favorite political platitudes. And secondly, it may, by God's grace, help them to understand that your beliefs are about something real. And not just some pie-in-the-sky, Sunday morning, these four walls kind of thing. Maybe it'll do that for you. Doing this, one step, doing this is one step that you can take so that you may more fully rejoice because Jesus Christ is Lord over suffering and opposition. Let's see how this works. We'll start by reading 12 to 14. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I want you to know, brothers, as Paul's introduction, he is finally starting his first lesson as he gets into the meat of the book of Philippians, that he wants the Philippians and the Santamarians to learn. What's that lesson? It's this. Suffering and opposition do not hinder the good news. Rather, they advance the kingdom of God in ways that you and I cannot fully understand. The church has said for 2,000 years, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Opposition and suffering of all kinds have been used by God to spread his good news to those who won't listen if your pockets are full of gold. When your near ones see you smiling and pleasant because you're in good health and have all the accoutrements of the American dream, they won't be impressed. As they see your ego props fall away and you are still trusting in your Lord, then and only then will they take note. What makes you tick? Nevertheless, it is a fair question to ask, Paul, Explain to me why suffering and opposition is good in terms of advancing the good news. Now, it seems to me there's two ways that we can answer that question. There's, there's undoubtedly more. But there's two ways that we can answer that question before us. First, I want to look water skiing through the book of Philippians, and we'll find one of those answers there. As I quoted a few minutes ago in Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God will bring our sufferings and the opposition we face to completion. How? By bringing about our joy and his glory on the day of Jesus Christ. Praise Jesus. This is not for naught. But also, verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Your knowledge of God as you go through these sufferings and oppositions will enable you to understand that he is beautiful. And therefore you will love him. And he is faithful. Therefore you will trust him. 
exactly the two things that he calls each and every one of us to. A little more personal is verse 3, chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. Paul writes, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Note to self, don't set your mind on earthly things. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why are our sufferings and oppositions good for the advancement of the kingdom? Because those who are enemies of the cross will ultimately be destroyed. And lastly, for right now, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about your sufferings and the oppositions you face. But in all sufferings and oppositions, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Hmm, where have we heard a sermon about that recently? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It is in your sufferings and the trials you will find that God gives you peace that passes understanding. Again, if you're in good health and you got all the stuff you want, eh, you're, eh, life's good. But while you're in tr- struggles, then the peace that passes understanding can come out and others watching you will know that God is God and He is worth suffering for. Paul's letter to the Philippians is one reason why suffering and opposition are good. But there is, of course, a second, another simpler way of answering this question. When you suffer in such a way that demonstrates that Christ is more important to you than a life of ease and comfort, then you rebuke not only your heart, but the hearts of those who are watching you so that everyone there around will know that God's steadfast love is better than life and that the endless pursuit of happiness is not. Note how Jesus' friend Peter addresses the exact same issue. 1 Peter 3.15-17 In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Notice, Peter says, Christ is Lord of sufferings and opposition. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you that you have in spite of your sufferings and opposition. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, there's your opposition, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good than it should, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For most of the world... Maybe for most of the people around you, God is small and far away. Now this is not true. But they, and sometimes we, need to be reminded that God is great and God is near. 
And these reminders that God is great and God is near are available when God's people live like a telescope displaying the glory of God to the watching world. How do we show that God is great and God is near to people who think God is far away? With our testimony. Paul simply tells the Philippians and the Santa Marians what he has observed God doing through him and in him and for him. Paul sees his sufferings as a telescope and he uses the story of his sufferings to demonstrate that God is great and God is near. And this testimony, this witness of courage in the face of suffering and opposition, this evidence of a changed life is not just for those who are outside the set family of faith. It's for us, Christians, who are now more confident to speak the word without fear. I mean, I'll just get personal here for a second. I love the fact that I'm coming up on 13 years here at Grace Baptist because I've seen many of you in this room provide exactly this kind of testimony for me because of your faithfulness in the face of suffering and opposition. All believers are to do the work of the ministry and not just the professionals. We are to walk in the word so that we can imitate the the courage of Paul and those who have suffered around us so that we can advance the good news. And we advance the good news as we rejoice that Jesus Christ is Lord over our suffering and opposition. So are you suffering? Rejoice. Now, let me add some thoughts here. I'm not saying that you grin and bear it. That's not rejoicing. And I'm not saying that you try to fake it either. Suffering is real. Find real people that really love Jesus to share that suffering with. And they will help you know that that suffering is under the lordship of Jesus. And when your suffering is under the lordship of Jesus, even that suffering caused by those who should know better, you will find that the Lord is with you. Of course, the other side is true as well. You and I are to be his hands and feet to suffer alongside with those who are suffering. But look how Paul continues in verse 15. 15 and 16. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Now, believe it or not, there are people who do the right thing for the wrong motives. It says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Now, I have to confess, this is strange. Who would preach the good news out of rivalry? Well, the idea that I came up with, and I didn't originate with me, was that perhaps there were those who differed in some specific doctrine that weren't conviction-level teachings. They may have differed on speaking in tongues, for example, with Paul. And they saw that Paul in prison was an opportunity for them to advocate their prison while Paul was out of commission, so to speak. That's the envy and rivalry 
aspect of this. But something even more important caught my attention, and that is, well, why didn't Paul curse these people who were taking advantage of him being behind bars? What's the difference between here where Paul's opponents get a pass and his opponents in Galatian who he accurses? Note, the difference is that in Galatians, those, his opponents were not attacking him. They were attacking the gospel. They were attacking the good news. They were attacking the cross of Christ. And for Paul, them's fighting words. Ah, if you want to bag on me, whatever. Yeah, I don't care. Pick on me. I'm good with that. I have to say, I wish I had Paul's thick skin sometimes. But fortunately, there were also others who preached the good news because they loved Jesus. Verse 16, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the love for Jesus some believers had, and the love that they had for Paul were not the same, but they were certainly related. Even more fundamental, however, to verse 16, is the word put. Paul says, I am put put here for the defense of the gospel. God intended Paul to be exactly where he was, suffering what he suffered. Let that sink in for a moment. God intended Paul to be exactly where he was, suffering what he suffered. You have faced no opposition in your life. You have suffered nothing in your life that God did not intend for your good, for his glory, and for the growth of the kingdom. Now, by the way, that is not true for non-believers. That is not true for non-believers. But for everyone who trusts the promises of God for them in Christ, you have suffered nothing and you have faced no opposition that is not put there by your loving Heavenly Father. See, Paul understood that he was under marching orders. Paul knew that he was just doing his job. In Galatians chapter 1.16, Paul says, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Well, what does that look like, Paul? Paul suffered sitting in prison multiple occasions. Paul was floating on a raft in the middle of the Mediterranean three times at least. Paul received 40 lashes less one at least five times. Paul was worried and wearied and worn out. Paul knew that all of this was because he was put or he was appointed by God, his loving Father, to be there. And Paul was given a specific task to do, whether it was convenient or not, whether it was easy or not, or certainly whether he wanted to do it or not. Paul was put exactly where he was by his loving Father for Paul's joy, for God's glory, and for the growth of God's kingdom. Not Paul's. It gets worse than that. Because you have marching orders too. Matthew 28, 
19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of your sufferings and oppositions. Will you suffer and face oppositions while you are making disciple making disciples? Of course. And afterwards, you'll have Luke 17. Jesus says, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. In the face of your sufferings, in the face of the oppositions, even those who are not opposing you just because you're a Christian, you are facing sufferings. Your body wears out. Ask me, I know. Too soon. Those are meant to draw your heart to God and to show those who are around you that you value Him more than a life of ease and comfort. Paul teaches us in this passage that it isn't about how much or how little we suffer. We must advance the good news. Therefore, rejoice. Show people around you that it is more important that you know that Jesus Christ is Lord over suffering and opposition than you have a life of ease. If you are where you know you need to be doing what you need to be doing, it is a lot easier to take the abuse and frustration well. I would do well to take Paul's attitude as my own since I, too, have marching orders. We must come to, in today's passage to terms with the fact that human means are used by God to achieve divine ends. Human means, you and me, and our attitudes and actions, are used by God to achieve divine ends. I have a question. Can you imagine a world where abortion and infanticide on demand was illegal? Can you imagine a world where the truth about abortion and demand, infanticide on demand was understood and unthinkable? Could you imagine a world, your world, the world of your near ones, where people were able to witness God's hand patiently, carefully, lovingly sharing the love of Jesus with those little ones so that they understood the real value of life. Imagine, imagine, a world in which you and I and those who love Jesus just started sharing the truth and love with those who are near us. Hmm. I wonder if God could help us do that. Paul continues, verse 17 and 18. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, the proclamation of Jesus Christ, in that I will rejoice. My friends, Paul put his pants on just like we do. There are no sinless saints outside of Jesus. Now, having said that, Paul was effective in kicking his ego out of the way. Paul wants Christ preached, even if it goes against some non-essential doctrine that Paul holds. Paul didn't let little issues get in the way of sharing the good news and loving the people who do it, even though they disagree. This is good news. This is good news because Paul is able to take his ego out of the way. (laughs) How many of your problems in your life have been caused by your ego being in the way? Never mind. This is good news because proclaiming Christ above everything and anything and everything else ought to be first and foremost in every believer's heart. Not crushing candy or chasing after whatever our hearts lust after. This is good news because this kind of attitude, this kind of pursuit of advancing the good news demonstrates that the most important thing is to have a heart that pursues after Him and only Him. And not all these side things that we get ourselves, that I get myself distracted by. This is good news because now we can pursue Him, Jesus, proclaiming him unencumbered by the things that would trip us up and trip our near ones up as well. When we so live, we will be able to advance the good news. So rejoice. Jesus Christ is Lord over suffering and opposition. So how do we do this? Number one, by being convicted by Paul's example. Oh, talk about an arrow to your heart. So don't be surprised by suffering and opposition when you face it. Know that you are where you need to be, put there by a loving God who wishes to complete you and grow his kingdom to his glory, not your kingdom or to your glory. Be convicted by Paul's example. And second, be comforted by Paul's good news. My friends, the good news is still the good news. The oldest person in this room, a thousand years from now, is going to think of however old they are right now as a very quick amount of time. And a thousand years from now, forget that, 40 years from now, we're all going to be with him anyways. Praise Jesus for that. And be comforted by that in the face of whatever sufferings and opposition you're in right now. Number three, be convicted by Paul's example, be comforted by Paul's good news, and be freed from the distraction of my own self-pity, my own self-centeredness, and my own self-righteousness. Oh, Jesus, save us. Listen, pay attention to your own heart. Pay attention to when this begins to happen to you. Oh, I'm better than that person. If they, if they really knew, they would, they would turn it off. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And if someone else gets the credit, turn it off. 
Reject the lie of Satan. Trust the promises of God for you in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are safe and you are loved. And finally, be freed to be fixated on the good news. Don't allow crushing candy to distract you from what is important in your suffering and opposition. Jesus Christ is Lord, and you can rejoice in that. And the closer you get to him, the more you will rejoice. Jesus is Lord over your suffering and over the opposition in this world towards his kingdom and those who are working to advance that kingdom. Don't be afraid of the crowds who denounce you or say all kinds of lying filth against you because you stand for life. My friends, it's absurd that we murder babies in this, in this country. It is absurd. They don't have an argument to stand on. Be bold about that. Don't back down. This is a justice issue. This is an issue about Jesus and his image being in us. If, if you're a Facebook friend of mine, you won't see things about Donald Trump on my Facebook feed, but you will about abortion because that's murder. Better watch out. I'll start preaching a whole other sermon. Jesus Christ is still Lord over Facebook. Jesus Christ is still Lord over your near ones who need to hear the truth in love. Jesus Christ is still Lord and he will be on that day as well. And the cross will have either taken away our sins and the sins of our near ones, and we will rejoice forever. Or that cross will stand as a judgment against those who have not yet repented. My friends, now is the time. Advance the good news and rejoice that Jesus Christ is Lord over suffering and opposition. Rejoice. Oh Lord, <laughs> it's easy when I am surrounded by people who love me and who love you to say rejoice because Jesus Christ is Lord over suffering and opposition. It is not so easy when we are faced with those, especially our loved ones, almost everyone in my family. But Lord, rejoice we must. Let us not be fake about it. And then we will get to that more next week. But Lord, help us to do so because you are greater than all our sins and all the sins of those around us. Bless us, Jesus, so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.